the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olivia to DC, we break down, break it all down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. Welcome back to the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA, hour number two on your Thursday afternoon. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson with you. Joining us on the line, he is the Senate Republican leader, Senator John Braun. Good afternoon to you, sir. We appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Senator Braun, we know that you've uh, you've been busy with committee today, so we do appreciate you having time to break away to talk to us for a few minutes. Um it was an interesting exchange between you and Senator Rolfus uh, regarding, uh, I believe it was the operating budget uh, for the Senate Democrats. Um, talk to us a little bit about that exchange, because it seemed, um, uh, well, it seemed that Senator Rolfus took objection to something that didn't seem something that was overly objectionable. Uh, yeah, and we talked afterwards a little bit. She felt like uh, one of the comments made by someone on our side was claiming that if they didn't take the, the our proposed amendment, they somehow didn't care about children. We always tried to be clear that it was not about questioning their 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 good faith and their their sincerity in caring about kids. It was really about how do we make it so we get our kids back in class in in a not just in this pandemic but in future issues. How do we make sure that they have a, a clear right? in-person instruction. We know absolutely the science is clear. Everybody likes to talk about science, that this is doing harm to our children, and we still have about half the children, you know, five, 600,000 kids around the state that haven't been in the classroom in a year. So uh, she, she and, and I think that we all kind of back, got back on the same page. Of course, they didn't take the amendment because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to do anything about it. They don't want to talk about it. Um, that doesn't mean they don't care about kids. It just means they're not, they're willing to defer to the governor uh, and others on this issue, which is frustrating to me. Well, and Senator Braun, they've deferred to the governor pretty much the entire time here, um, and, and this seems to be a point of frustration um, for Senate Republicans, House Republicans, and a good portion of the residents of Washington State that early on in the legislative session, the majority party decided that they wanted to be a bystander and not be a co-equal branch of government. Yeah, that's exactly right, and it makes no sense to me. I mean, these folks are decent people that want to do a good job, and yet they just willing to to sit on their hands and and will not uh, speak up. And this doesn't have to be anti-governor. Look, we know a lot more than we knew uh, a year ago. Uh, you know, our our emergency powers laws just you know, do not make sense for this type of emergency. We all know that, and it's not its not being hard on anybody to say we ought to fix them so they're better for this one and better for the future. And, and I, I want to back up a second. I said on the school issue, they're not even deferring to the governor. The governor's finally come to our side on this issue. They're deferring to the, the, the teachers' union on this issue, on the school issue. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that they've been the biggest ones to push back. It are the unions, the WEA, and all the subsidiaries around the state. We're talking with Republican Senate leader, John Braun here on the Bottom Line News Radio 610-KONA. Now, Senator Braun, uh, along those same lines, uh, those of us away from Olympia uh, look at what the legislature is and isn't doing, and maybe you can either agree or disagree or give us some insight into this. It seems like those on the Democratic side, both the House and Senate, but we'll focus on the Senate because that's your chamber, 
are doing what they want because they know they have the numbers and in public they may put up a little bit of a of a face that that there is bipartisan efforts uh, underway but it doesn't seem like that behind closed doors are the republicans a part of what's going on in olympia well, a couple. Of, well, there's no behind closed doors these days. We all just meet on Zoom or, or Teams. Um, but you no, know, the answer to your question is no. We're not not truly involved. If we're lucky, they'll ask us an opinion. But we are not invited to any of the negotiations. Uh, our opinions on the most serious matters of the session, and that you know, in my opinion, the most serious matter is the budget. You know, we're not we're not really consulted. Now, I think we have had some opportunity to influence the budget, but that's because we got ahead of them and showed that there's some great things you can do in a budget like this, and they they emulated some of that, and I I certainly appreciate that. But that's a big difference between uh, between you know having some distant influence and actually sitting in the room and helping discuss a, a budget that that's going to have enormous impact on our state. So, simple answer to your question is no, and. Uh, and they seem to be somewhat indifferent about it. Now, previously, before you became the Senate leader, you were the budget lead. And uh, I'm sure that there was also discussions, uh, you know, when when the Senate Republicans released their uh, proposed budget that you were involved with that. But now that you are the minority leader, uh, is the view a bit different? Or what are are some of the the more challenging things uh, for you personally? Well, I mean, it's not a, a large caucus. We're 21 people, so even you know, we, we and, and uh, even prior to this, uh, we're all uh, working together on much the same things. I think for me, the difference is is my focus even more than before is uh, how do we stop being in the minority? How do how do we how do we convince the people of the state of Washington that the Republicans could do a better job? governing our state and i think that has a lot to do with why we pushed for our own budget that shows that no it's not just we're not just a party of no we're not just a party of of of, of pithy statements we can actually produce you know detailed and comprehensive work that shows how we could deliver better results for individual people and families around the state so that's that's much more of my focus is how do we how do we make the case that we we can deliver better ideas and be more effective and, and lead to better lives for the for the people of the state of Washington, and that's uh you know that's a uh, hard to get the message across when you're in MRD. You got a relatively small microphone, and you got a lot of stuff you got to share with a lot of people around the state. And we're talking with Senator John Braun here on the bottom line, News Radio six ten K O N A. Senator Braun, in this legislative session, particularly, you know, we know a, a, a few years back, Senator Tim Sheldon began caucusing with the Republicans, uh, gave the Republicans a small minority for for a period of time there in the Senate. Uh, this this session, Senator Mullet um, has voted with Republicans uh, on a number of occasions. Um, particularly some pretty onerous bills but w- why do you think that you are you you know Senator Mullet has come over and voted with Republicans on a couple things and is that sending a message to some of the more rural districts on the western side of the state that even if Democrats are are voting with Republicans on some of these bills that uh, maybe it's time that people open their eyes a little bit further as to what is going to potentially happen as a result of the passage of these pieces of legislation? 
Well, that's a lot of question. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I, I work very well with Senator Mullet. I think highly of him. Uh, he he uh, has and he shares some of our priorities when it comes to understanding what makes our state's economy effective long term and how do we how do we build a budget that is that is you know solid and 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 robust and provides a good social safety net but is sustainable and reasonable and, and and on solid ground so we have a lot of you know shared principles in that in that area i i think you know and and he is i i don't want to, certainly don't want to speak for him i think he has some comes some concern that his party is being pulled further further to the left and it's just not sustainable so I think that's all you're seeing there. Um, we're happy to work with him. We're happy to work with anybody from the other side of the aisle. It's not we don't view it as a, us against them. It's it's how do we get the best results for the state of Washington? We don't think what the, the conclusions they're coming to will deliver the best results for the state of Washington. So we're, we're full on trying to show hey why those aren't the best results and what are the best you know policies to give us you know a great future here in here in the state of Washington. We're talking with. Senate Republican Leader John Braun here at the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA. You know, you mentioned about convincing uh, others in Washington State uh, that Republicans have a, a could have a better way of leading the state. Over on the eastern side of the state, Senator Braun, I'm not sure you're aware, but some of the county Republican parties have been growing. Uh, but most of the representation here, with the exception of three seats in one district in Spokane, are all Republican representation. Uh, it seems the convincing has to come on the other side of the Cascades, and it, it's always been a surprise to me that some of the more rural districts on the west side don't seem to see um, that a lot of the policies putting put forward are going to hurt them. What do you think it's going to take for the western side of the state to see what's happening and affect that change? Uh, that's a good question, I, and I think it's happening already. You know, we saw in this last... Uh, in the election last fall, that uh, the 19th district, which is down in southwest Washington, uh, where I'm from, a very rural district, uh, resource dependent, it, it shifted from from uh, uh, blue to to red in one essentially in one one cycle. We had one uh, House member that was a Republican from that district, and we ended up with all three members being Republican. And I think we're seeing the same thing start to be recognized up in the 24th, up on the peninsula. You know, they have a couple cities up there that lean heavily uh, to the left, so I think it'll take a little long time, longer time. But folks are looking around and saying, hey, hey, the, the Democrats, they're no longer paying attention to what makes our lives uh, better, and, and they're ignoring us at, at the, as they follow down the, the, the path of, of, you know, hard environmentalism or, you know, tax and spend. You can talk about all kinds of different things. But you're right. Uh, there is a growing recognition in rural western Washington that the, the D's are not interested in the things that make their life better. They're only interested in the things that work in, in downtown Seattle, or I should say, frankly, don't work in downtown down Seattle. But here's the math. I, I think we win those districts eventually, but to get back in the majority, which is what we want to do, we got to also win in the suburbs around the, the the central, you know, around the, you know, Puget Sound Crescent, as they call it. Uh, we're going to have to win there. That means we got to come. We we can't just offer solutions that work in eastern Washington or southwest Washington, or up in northwest Washington. We got to work on solutions that work for all of Washington, and I believe we have. Unlike the other side, we've 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 laid out 
uh, plans that, that go after statewide issues and help all of Washington. They don't just, uh, you know, help the, the districts in the central Puget Sound and Seattle and Bellevue and Redmond that uh, that uh, have, you know, entirely different uh, economic structure than than some of the rest of us. So I think we're doing the right thing. we got to convince people that it's the right thing, and that's going to just take some time. We're going to have to keep working at it. You know, Senator Braun, one of the things that we get beaten up about here on the eastern side of the state are our dams. They keep saying that it's a problem for the salmon and that it affects the southern resident orca. Yet what we continue to not hear from the environmentalists pushing this is the amount of waste that gets dumped into the Puget Sound that that junior Chinook salmon as well as orcas have tested positive for opioids because of everything that's been dumped in that water. They wind up ingesting it. They ingest, you know, the, the, the orcas obviously ingest the salmon. It gets into their systems and so on and so forth. When are we going to start hearing or seeing some things that where Republicans take the lead on this issue and go, wait a second, it's not dams. That's not what the problem is. The problem is the fact that King County isn't being responsible and these things are getting dumped into the sound and affecting the orcas and the fish. You you are spot on, and we have been. I mean, we need to. It sounds like we're not getting it to everybody, but but we have been hot on the on the their their worry their claims about the damage the dams are doing, and explain to them, you know, all the the important aspects of the dam, what it means to Eastern Washington and frankly to Western Washington. They they like to conveniently look past the dams that are in Western Washington, and and but your your bigger point, which is, if you really want to get the the Puget Sound cleaned up. If you really want to help help the salmon, uh, you really want to help the orcas, and I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't want to do that. The difference is we want to do it in a sustainable way that can that we can not just start but finish. You got to go after stormwater. If you look at the legacy systems, legacy stormwater systems in Seattle, uh, Tacoma, and what kind of pollutants they put into the into the sound, that's the source of your problem. You know, cranking down a little bit more on already you know highly regulated. Uh, new stormwater is not fixing the problem and will not fix the problem. The bulk of the problem comes from legacy systems, and and we've been working on on that type of type of approach to investment in water structure for years. That's just not you know it's it's more it's more fun to, to talk about let's have a new carbon tax rather than do stuff that really really helps our environment. We're talking with Senator John Braun. He is the Senate Republican leader here on the Bottom Line News Radio 16K1A. One more question for you, Senator Braun. We appreciate the amount of time you've had for us today. Um, We know that the House is still sitting on the capital gains bill. We know that Senator Vanderway uh, wanted the emergency clause out. Uh, Senator Vanderway, Democrat, of course, uh, in the Senate in Washington State. He wanted the emergency clause out. The House is debating on whether to put it back in. If that emergency clause goes back in, do you believe the bill dies when it comes back to the Senate? Well, I'd hope so. Uh, I, I think I don't think the bill makes it out of the Senate with emergency clause. Now, I think there's some possibility that if it comes back to emergency clause, they go to they go to conference, and, and the conference ends up taking it out. I I don't think I think I feel pretty confident we have the votes to not allow the vote, bill to move forward. With an emergency clause, I, they just have too many other options. I, I don't know why they're holding it. I mean, the speaker has been really clear; she plans on passing it out. It could be that the longer she holds it, the less time there are for folks, for citizens, to put together a referendum. Uh, I, that might be it. I mean, I know they're worried about a referendum. A lot of you know, private talk about yeah, we have to be you know that we have to be quick about this because. Uh, we we know the voters don't like it. I mean, the, the polling is very clear. Voters 
are are and have been for 80, almost 100 years opposed to a, an income tax, and this is just a capital gains income tax. So it's hard for me to tell. I, at first, I thought they would run it through the House really quickly. They obviously aren't doing that. I, I think they clearly understand that the merchant clause isn't going to make it through the Senate, so I don't know why they'd try that. So I, there's probably some other other reason I don't claim to always understand the, the, the Democratic majorities in our state. Yes, let's hold on to it as long as we can so we can screw the residents of the state and make sure their voice can't be heard. That's a fantastic policy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's what it seems like to me. I, I mean, it, it's, 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 not, it's a terrible policy. I mean, this is, if they really believe this is the right answer, and I don't share that opinion, I think it's a terrible answer, but if that's what they really believe, they should do it out in the light of day. Let the voters weigh in. That's the right way to do it. And they know it. Yep, just like title-only bills, sir. They're they're a fantastic way to turn around and stick it to the residents of the state of Washington. (laughs) We appreciate your time, Senator Braun. Senator John Braun, he is the Republican. uh, He's the Senate leader for the Republicans uh, in Olympia. Thank you, sir, for your time today. We appreciate it. Hope that we can have you on again sometime soon. Back with more of the bottom line after this. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509 547 1610. Back in the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, 547 1610 is the number to get involved. Tell you what. We talked a lot about the emergency clause with Senator Braun. For some people that may not be aware of what that is, the emergency clause, if it's put in a piece of legislation, means that the residents of the state of Washington lose the ability to create a referendum to overturn that law. The emergency clause basically states that this piece of legislation is so important to um, the best interests of the state that the legislature takes away the right of referendum for the residents in the state of Washington to be able to overturn said law. Usually the emergency clause is well, the emergency clause is is supposed to be a rarely used item by the state legislature. We have come to see over the last few years that it is attempt it's attempt to be used in situations where the majority party knows their piece of legislation will be overturned by the people. Hence, the discussion of it regarding the capital gains tax, because, hence the capital gains, the discussion around the capital gains tax, because referendums and and, the residents of the state 10 times have already said no to income taxes, and a capital gains tax is an income tax, it's not an excise tax. Uh, So they don't want the residents to be able to create yet another referendum to be able to say no to an income tax in the state of Washington. So I know we didn't explain that, but... Well, you know, knowledge is power. It is. And so hopefully um, we've explained it well enough that people now know that the there is the there's a significance carried with an emergency clause and the emergency clause is to take away your voice on an issue back with more of the bottom line after this
hook up with The Bottom Line on Twitter at BottomLine610. Now, back to the show, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the Bottom Line, News Radio 610-KONA, 547-1610, the number if you want to get involved. Rob Francis at Dawson, hanging with you. Windermere Group 1, 72soldtricities.com program. What well, works? Every listing, over asking price. And two in the last month closed in the same month. They listed and closed less than 30 days. They work hard to put more money in your pocket. It's very convenient, very convenient for you, the seller. The 72 sold team, Windermere Group 1, consistent and successful. Find out for yourself. Hit the website, 72soldtricities.com. Talk to one of the experienced realtors and find out how you can get your home in the program. Multiple offers, thousands more than the asking price, is not out of the realm of possibility at all with Windermere Group 1 and 72soldtricities.com. So, Ed, we were talking with Senator Braun. You know, we talked about the fact that the western side of the state is mainly Democratic. And if they want to regain a foothold or they want to gain a majority, that's where they need to do the work. I mean, there's only three seats east of the Cascades that are Democrats, and they're all in one district in Spokane. That's it. They they got the work cut out for them on the west side. I mean, look, what are you going to do? Try and establish a coup and take those three seats back, which won't matter, right? I mean, it'll matter, but not nearly as much as a lot of the seats they have that are on the west side. And he talked about not just rural Washington, but all western Washington, but also the suburbs around Seattle and in King County. And and maybe just maybe there is there is a little bit of a swing happening because the Washington State Supreme Court today made a decision regarding a particular recall. We'll tell you about it after we go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio six ten K and A. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Danny Richland. What's on your mind, Danny? Uh, well, you know, they talk about the, the dams and the fish and everything. Why do they, how much electricity does the west side get from the dams? Any idea? Oh, they get a ton? Yeah, maybe we should unplug them. <laughs> Yeah, well, it'd be it'd be nice. However, you know, then they would probably say it was racist or something. So, you know, we don't want to do that do that at this point in time. But the Washington State Supreme Court today ruled that the recall against Seattle Councilwoman Shama Sawant can proceed. In fact, it wasn't how we have seen with some that they have decided. Every charge but one was allowed to move forward. Four out of five, I believe. Yes. Were allowed to move forward by the Washington State Supreme Court. Um, you may remember last year there was a recall effort against Jenny Durkin. There were six counts. One was allowed to move forward by a lower count. The Washington State Supreme Court looked at it and said, yeah, that was really kind of weak anyway, so... All of them were thrown out, no recall against Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. But four of the five charges against Shama Sawant have been allowed to move forward by the state Supreme Court. Now, four of five were allowed to move forward by the lower court. Shama Sawant's legal team appealed the remaining four, said the charges were factually and legally insufficient, 
The state Supreme Court disagreed. Now, did not, I'm sorry, all five were upheld by the lower court. The one charge it did not uphold was that she violated city employment rules by giving a socialist political group authority over a firing decision. They didn't agree on that one. But they did agree with the other four. Now, 10,000 signatures need to be collected in Sawant's district in the next 180 days. They have six months to collect 10,000 districts in a socialist district. That could be a challenge. Only need 10,000, but that could be a challenge. One, you, you talk about the different charges and, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned Jenny Durkin. Of course, we've talked a lot about uh, Sheriff Jerry Hatcher in Benton County. The charges not only have to be substantiated, but as as you referenced, they need to be worded correctly. Yes. That the even if you have to take an angle, and the reason why I bring that up is one of the charges that the state Supreme Court said could be allowed in the recall effort was worded very interestingly. We, we know, we now know, didn't necessarily know at the time the exact involvement, but you might recall during the Summer of Love last year with all the protests in Seattle that a group of protesters gained access to Seattle City Hall. And Shama Sawant was there, uh, and the speculation was that she might have had something to do with them getting in. Well, that was later proven to be true, that she actually did let the protesters in using her key. Yes, she unlocked City Hall. She after unlocked hours. City Hall. Now, I bring that up because one of the charges against her in the recall was not just the fact that she let protesters in last summer to arguably a public place, even though it was after hours, and she had a key, so it wasn't exactly breaking and entering, and it, and it is a public space. The charge against her was that she disregarded state COVID orders by allowing protesters into City Hall because it had been shut down for COVID. And I found that incredibly interesting that, in essence, that uh, provision was used against her. Uh, really had nothing, very little to do with the protest, or certainly what they were protesting over, but the fact that she broke COVID protocols mm-hmm. by letting them into a space that had been closed down for COVID reasons. Interesting. Again, so it, the the wording the wording matters. One of the other, and again, this is a bit nuanced, but one of the other charges that the high court, you know, allowed to move forward in the recall effort was that Shama Sawant. She she loves the bullhorn, right? She loves to lead protests. That's really how she got her political start. Uh, was doing just that. So one of the other times during the Summer of Love in Seattle, 
a different protest where protesters marched to Jenny Durkin, the mayor's home. And that was a little bit curious because, well, it it really upset a lot of people. It's one thing to protest in a public space, but, you know, we even talked about it here, about, uh, you know, protests in front of people's homes uh, crosses the line, or at least some people believe it crosses the line. One of the other charges that the high court let go through today was her involvement with that protest at Jenny Durkin's home. And it was because she apparently gave them, gave the protesters the exact location of where Jenny Durkin lives, thus violating one of the codes in the in the city of Seattle. Now, people might be saying, well, it's it, Jenny Durkin's an elected official. You would think that that is readily available to the public. But apparently there is a clause in the city code that Shama Sawant broke uh, confidentiality. You know, she she went against it and in doing so racked up another charge for her recall efforts. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Mike from Pasco, and I'm calling from Yakima. Hi, Mike. Nothing with what you're talking about. I just got to tell you, I'm on my way back from Seattle, and I was glad to cross Manastash Ridge because that's the point where I can pick you guys up on the radio. <laughs> Mike, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. I, th- I thought he was going to say you, know, you cross over Manastash Ridge and you're you feel like you're your home back on home turf again. Well, he is. He gets to yeah. pick us up. Yeah, that's that's funny. Very cool, Mike. One Thank of the you. other interesting pieces <laughs> out of this too deals with the 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 takeover of the East Precinct. Yeah, right. That one was upheld. Yes. Um, and it was interesting, too, because... And here's the one thing about the Jenny Durkin one that... that you're, you're right. I mean, public... Usually the county assessor's department has a record of home purchases. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now... The county assessor doesn't have a record of rentals. Right. doesn't say who's renting a property. It says who owns a property. For example, if I remember correctly, Ted Wheeler was a tenant in a building. He didn't own necessarily right. property in said building. He well, was a it was, tenant. It, it wasn't. It was like a condo. I was going to say yeah. it wasn't an apartment it's complex. Little, yeah, it was more like a condo. condo but, yeah. But if, but if you say, say, say Jenny Durkin was renting, that would be private information because that the information of who the renter is would not be listed on an assessor's website. Right. That would be more private information than being the owner of said property, which is public information. That one kind of gray in a way to me because anybody can look up the assessor's website because in all reality then you could turn around and you could say the same thing about what happened here in Pasco a few months ago mm-hmm. outside Commissioner Peck's house. 
Right. Well, Be- because and the- they turned around and made an announcement. There was an elected official there. Yes. There was more than one elected official there, in fact, that didn't stand in the way of people going to that private residence and protesting. And there, there was a case in, I, I want to say Kennewick also, of uh, uh, an officer, an enforcement officer, not not law enforcement for officer. Else for the liquor, yeah, liquor cannabis, cannabis board. board. Yeah, that, that uh, Correct. Folks, folks found out where that person lived. And- so based on this charge, allowing to stand in the Shamasawan situation, could that be used in any situation as an effective recall argument? And before you mention the fact that, you know, through public disclosure, you're supposed to, uh, you know, when you run for office and file the paperwork, you you need to prove residency, right? A lot of times elected officials put P.O. boxes. There are times that occurs. So you can't necessarily glean anything from that. Has the Supreme Court opened up? An interesting Pandora's box by allowing that charge to stand. Yeah, I guess time will tell. It will. It's it's very. It was a very interesting decision on their part to allow that one to move forward. Was it more based on who the official was than the actual premise itself? Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now back to the show presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Bottom line, News Radio 610, KONA 547-1610. If you have any final thoughts on this Thursday afternoon, yesterday, Ed, um, not only did more people, 1.5 million more people become uh, eligible to receive uh, the COVID vaccine in the state of Washington, but we also found out from the governor in his press conference that on April 15th, everyone over the age of 16 will become available uh, eligible to get the COVID vaccine. Uh, in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, yes. April 15th is that date. You're still encouraged to go through because now the, the, the uh, Phase Finder website no longer in operation with the State Department of Health, so you need to go to the um, Benton Franklin Health District website to set up an appointment to get the vaccine. If you choose to do so, uh, Ben and Franklin counties, things are looking pretty good case count wise, but don't want to take anything for granted. You know, still continue to follow the protocols to keep the counties below the threshold. It's 400 in Benton County, but only 200 in Franklin County. And Franklin County still sitting in the 170 range. They're under, but it could go up at any point in time. So we want to keep the counties where they are. We don't want anybody moving backwards. So for all the information with COVID-19, not to mention how to set up an appointment for the vaccination site, and for more information on the case counts, you can visit the Health District's website, bfhd.wa.gov. I think it's important to add an asterisk to that announcement yesterday because we know the governor certainly didn't. Um, And the state health department is hesitant to add an asterisk. Even though more people will become eligible in two weeks, that does not necessarily mean there will be supply to 
have everybody get it or get the two dose version, you know, right out of the gate on the 15th and, and even that week. We're still getting supplies. Uh, well, the state gets supplies from the feds and then we get supplies from the state. I mean, it's just a, a tiered system that way. And, you know, the, the state tries to allocate where the biggest need is. And uh, but you may become eligible on April on the 15th, but that does not necessarily mean there'll be supply to get everybody. So just a little caveat there. I got to throw this out there before we're done. All right. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has certainly been um, she's definitely been talked about quite a bit in her freshman few months in Congress. She's lost all of her committee assignments. Um, she has just introduced a bill. Now, we know that Dr. Anthony Fauci is the highest paid federal employee in the country. Mm-hmm. $434,312 a year is what he makes. Yeah, way more than the president. Yeah. She, and there are 4 million federal employees, by the way. Yeah. She has introduced a bill to cut his salary to zero until he is replaced. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will. Of course, it's going nowhere, but it's, it's interesting to talk about, right? <laughs> I will give her credit for this. After, after the fact that she lost all her committee assignments and Republicans couldn't do anything to stop it, she is she is not backing down. I mean, you can say what you want about the lady, whether you agree with her or not, whether you think she's whatever, but she's sitting there and she's like, okay, I took all my committee assignments away. I don't have a lot to do. I've got some time on my hands. Hey, I got an idea. How about I take a spoon and throw it in the pot and see what happens? I'm going to throw this bill forward and just see, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, but hey, it's going to be fun. Let me do it. Well, you mentioned the Republicans didn't do, couldn't do anything to stop it. I would argue most might not have oh, there done were, anything there, anyway. There certainly were those Republicans that, while they knew that their vote wouldn't have changed anything, probably weren't overly upset. Yep, I agree. And, you know, here's the thing. The one thing that you have seen Republicans do, more so than Democrats when it's come to highly controversial situations. You've seen them go against the party. Now, for some, it's been based on principle. For others, like a particular senator from Utah, it's been because he's, he may actually be a Democrat uh, in, in Republicans' clothing. Now, there's some Democrats saying that about Joe Manchin. But what I will counter with Joe Manchin is Joe Manchin has not changed a single thing in his entire political career. The man has been incredibly consistent, whether you like that or not. But he has been incredibly consistent being a Kennedy-slash-Reagan Democrat over the course of his political career. I don't know you could say the same thing about Mitt Romney. That'll do it for the bottom line this Thursday afternoon. The Afternoon Report coming your way. Local, state, regional news. Have a great rest of your night.